Welcome to Conversations with Leaders. I'm excited to kick off our new series, Ask the AWS Strategist, where we'll be talking about what we're hearing from customers, observations, and trends we see. We hope you'll find this insight helpful in your journey. In this episode, Brian, Ashit, and I have an interesting conversation about controlled demolition and the why versus how to reach a customer. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. So I thought first, uh, maybe we could do introductions. Um, Ashit, Brian, uh, who wants to go first? Why don't, Ashit, why don't you let us know, kind of, who are you in your previous life? And, uh, and just a little about your background. Sure. Hey, Jake, uh, happy to be here. Uh, my name is Ishit Vajrajani. I'm an enterprise strategist for AWS. Uh, enterprise strategy team uh, is a team of former CXOs uh, who have led major transformation using the cloud in our previous lives. Uh, what we do now is work with customers and executives across the world, help them with the strategies, uh, share some of our learnings. Um, each one of us talks to about 150 customers uh, a year. So besides our own experiences, we also pick up uh, patterns, what works, what are the gotchas, uh, and we love sharing those with uh, other executives. And your fir- your former role? Oh, yeah. Uh, before uh, before I joined AWS, I was the global CTO for uh, the media company, A&E Networks. So if you're a fan of uh, brands like History, A&E, Lifetime, uh, I was there for about six and a half years, uh, led the tran- transformation from uh, being 100% on-premises uh, to over 90% uh, on-cloud, uh, which was sort of part of a larger change uh, in the media ecosystem going from a pretty traditional delivery of content on television to a more digital. So I'm also on the AWS Enterprise Strategy Team. I've I've been at AWS for a little over a year now. And prior to joining, I was the Chief Technology Officer at Cox Automotive. Um, Some of the brands that that we have at Cox was uh, like autotrader.com, kbb.com, dealer.com that that has about 60% of, of dealership websites across the U S and then also like CRM ERP solutions that, um, we built that dealerships use for, for their operations. Um, so I led a, a team of 2,500 across kind of 15 core locations in the U S and had over 40 acquisitions. So it was a, it was a pretty interesting journey, um, you know, kind of transforming the, the different cultures and technology, um, across that group. So, uh, in your previous roles, um, you know, today we're talking about how to thrive during digital disruption. Um, have you had any uh, disruptive events that uh, you went through as CTOs? Why don't you tell us about yourself, Jake, too? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm an enterprise strategist with AWS as well, and I've been on the team about a year and a half, engaged with um, about uh, 275 uh, enterprise companies. Uh, and, um, at my former role, I was, uh, head of it in North America for live nation Ticketmaster, vice president of cloud services. And I led the all in migration to AWS that we successfully completed in 2017 and resulted in, uh, nearly f- uh, about 48% reduction in our it costs while growing our $11 billion business. Great. Awesome. In, in, in your previous role, uh, were there any disruptive events that you uh, had to face, and how did you um, how did you overcome it? Um, Brian, do you want to go? Well, so I think you know 
I'd love to talk about my, you know, personal experience, but I think it's interesting uh, looking back, you know, one of the, the events that kind of formed Cox Automotive was, um, so Cox Automotive was part of Cox Enterprises, a, a private family owned business. And they had um, television stations and, and radio stations and newspapers and um, autotrader.com was actually born out of Cox Media Group's newspaper business, you know, to bring um, their classifieds online and, and uh, auto trader grew to, to be over a billion dollar, you know, business in and of itself um, and, and combined uh, to form what is now Cox automotive. So it's interesting to look back at that, um, that shift at Cox auto where essentially disrupted themselves, you know, where the newspaper business is, is now no longer around really for, for Cox um, enterprises um, I believe they have the AJC, the Atlanta uh, Journal, um, left. But, but so you know that was that was one way where they they disrupted themselves because they saw this this need to to move in a digital direction, and and that was many years ago. But I think it's a good example of, um, you know, kind of what you have to go through to, um, to get there, which is disrupt yourself. That's fascinating. Um, I think uh, I I want to sort of. Uh go back uh, even further than a &E. um, So um, I was uh, at NBC Universal, which is another media company. And uh, if you guys recall, uh, broadcast television was sort of uh, over the air, free television was a big deal, right? Um, when I started with uh, NBC, it had a pretty robust portfolio of cable channels. Um, and um, when cable arrived on the scene, cable was the disruptor. Right of the broadcast model, because now uh, you had vast number of choices available to the consumer. Uh, the advertising model shifted, uh, and you were no longer limited to these five or six channels that were available to you. Um, what started to happen was, uh, as that journey continued, and when I joined A&E, which is a pretty leading uh, cable company, the streaming arrived on the scene. Uh, and then that became sort of the disruptor of the cable model. Uh, so I think one thing that I learned from that experience is uh, that it's a it's not a destination. It's a it's a journey, right? Um, you could be the disruptor today, and tomorrow something else will come and disrupt your business model. Uh, so it's really around constant evolution and change and adaptation cycle, rather than a single strategy or a magic wand, right? So would you say that um, thriving in digital disruption uh, is about um, it, when does the work that a lot gives you these capabilities uh, go into that effort? Is it something you need to be prepared for? Or is it something that when you get taken by surprise, there are strategies you can uh, employ to to be adaptive in the moment? Because I think that uh, there are some customers that, that find themselves in that situation. And uh, maybe they weren't quite prepared for it, but uh, they want to do something about it now. What what would you guys say you could do about it now? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that a lot of the techniques that you know we see enterprises using um, aren't new, right? Um, AWS has has been around um, for over a decade. You know, uh, you look at Agile Manifesto, you look at the the term DevOps. All, all, you know, over a decade, some of almost 15 years old. 
So it's, it's not that there are all of a sudden new techniques. The technology has certainly changed significantly, but I think in general, it's, it's as the technology has matured, how we leverage it and, and, um, and treat it within the business has to change significantly. And, and we have to move away from using technology just to drive, uh, efficiencies and, um, and drive down costs, but in, instead to be a core part of how we, um, innovate and serve our customers, um, and, and have it be a driver of, of growth and success, not just cost optimization. Yeah, it's, it's a great point, Brian. I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's really around, um, there's, it's not too late, but you always, you of course don't want to play catch up, right? Uh, but it's really about being nimble and adaptable enough where if market forces changes, technology changes, uh, consumer behavior changes, uh, you can react and respond and you have built sort of muscle within your organization, whether it is culture, processes, mechanism, uh, technology investment that helps you respond to those needs. Um, so I don't think when customers ask us, uh, there isn't a moment where to say it is too late. It is about what can you do to start responding quickly to what is happening. And then in the process, actually build those muscles that you can then continue to leverage so that it is not five years from now, hey, I'm done. Yeah, that's right. You don't want to end up back where you started. Um, so tr treating this as a project or, you know, something that starts and ends is not, is definitely not the approach here. It's, um, adapting to that, that constant change, I think, uh, so that you do continually improve and evolve and, and bring in new technologies or new ways of working as they're developed and proven, but, but experimenting, I think is the key, right? Yeah, so it sounds like it's it's less about kind of how you react to it, but and more about how you kind of conceptualize um, the way you operate, and um, and and it's not something that you could do alone. It's something that your entire organization is going to have to come along with. So, how do you instill uh, in your organization a culture of um, being open to change and disruption, and perhaps even getting to a point of embracing it and driving it and you know, in order to create new opportunities. Yeah, I think culture is, uh, is a big part of uh, driving the change. And uh, um, again, it is a process where it's not about what change you are comfortable with. It's about being comfortable with the change, right? Uh, so how do you create a culture that isn't just comfortable with this change right now, right in front of you today, what's happening, or what you can see coming to you tomorrow. It's really around creating that agile organization that is comfortable with the notion of change, right, uh, and adaptation. And I think it comes down to a number of things. One is uh, having a very clear vision um, and then actually putting down and writing down those values um, that you believe in. Uh, at Amazon, um, as you guys know, we have our leadership principles, right? Uh, but they are much more than uh, things that are on our website recruitment portal or on our offices, right? We actually uh, live by them on a day-to-day -day basis, follow them. And so how do you really take those values and then make sure that they are part of the behavior, the unstated, unwritten rules, uh, including stated and written rules and procedures within your company? Uh, I think creating that culture uh, is, is really a crucial part of the transformation journey. 
And then, and then really making sure that you're constantly caring and feeding that culture as well, right? So it is, again, something that you nurture through how you hire, how you promote, how you move people around, how do you make investment, what do you focus on? Uh, I think all of these things actually feed into uh, making that culture solid. Yeah, you know, walking, walking the walk, right? Uh, really important aspect of it. You know, I think the other, the other thing that's interesting with change is, um, it's much easier to embrace change and constant change when, um, there's consistent, um, like accountability, um, and, and, and ways of working, right? So we talk about failure and, and, uh, experiment a lot and embrace failure, um, and what we really mean is we, we really value learning. And so failure is a valuable way of learning something. Um, and, but, but the only way you can do that is when you, if, when you fail, that the organization responds positively to it, that they, they capture the learnings, they act on the learnings in a way that, um, we all move forward together, um, versus, you know, somebody fails and gets fired. Well, now you're you're driving the wrong behaviors, right? And creating a culture, an, an inadvertent, you know, culture or some um, some unintended consequences as a result. So I think that's that's the really important piece is that if if people know that the change, um, if they're going to be supported, and um, and that you know people have their back, I think it's a lot easier to to tackle new things and to learn new things and to not always get it right, but, you know, kind of work together and have that level of trust, I think is really important. Right. Right. Yeah. It, people have the ability to handle these things in my experience. Uh, it's just that sometimes organizations um, have a, have a, a system in place where people don't feel like they don't feel like they can do it. They don't feel comfortable actually taking action because there's, there's no upside and there's a lot of downside. And I think that's, that's the wrong culture to have if a disruptive event happens, because then you're kind of paralyzed. You know, you have the people who have great ideas and know what to do, but they don't feel comfortable doing it. So I guess my question is, I mean, maybe there's some specific examples we can give of things we've went through. Um, you know, how to, how to create a culture where people feel comfortable. Um, I'm doing that. And I'd like to hear from you guys and then I'll share mine. Well, I mean, I think, I think you're, you're right in, in your last point that, um, people have to feel comfortable, you know, and, and transformation, um, you've, you have to stick your neck out, right? I mean, you have to go take some big swings at new things that, that you don't know how to do yet. Um, and, you know, I remember at, uh, dealer.com, I, I joined Cox Automotive through two acquisitions. I was the CTO at dealer.com. And I remember sitting down with my CEO in our one-on-one -on -one and saying, I'm betting my job, like li literally saying these words, I'm, I'm, I'm betting my job on this agile transformation. This is what I believe our business needs. And, and I know it's a big change, but I, I believe it's the right thing for us. And, um, and he looked me in the eye and he's like, I know, I know you are. Um, and you know, and, and look, we had a really good relationship and he supported me and I, I knew that he had my back, right. That he wasn't going to let me fail, but um, it is that level of, of impact here, right? I mean, I, you have to stick your neck out and do big things if you want to achieve big things or make big change. And 
and making small incremental changes, you know, or, um, surface level things where it looks like you've made the change, but, but you, you know, under the covers, it's really still the same old stuff. Um, you haven't taken a, a big risk and you, you aren't going to get the result that others will. Yeah, I think it's the it's that courage, right, Brian, to to be able to say, well, I'm willing to bet my job on this thing, uh, and that actually sends a very strong message to uh, the teams uh, and the organization. Um, I think if I look back, Jake, to your question, I'll I'll kind of say uh, two things. One is uh, it actually starts with you as the leader, um, where uh, you have to bring your authentic self in the conversation, right? Uh, Look, there is uncertainty and, and there is going to be fear. It's about you standing up and there and say, look, I don't know everything, right? Uh, and, but I'm going to place a bet on this and would you come along, right? Uh, which is again something that I love about, uh, Amazon's culture, right? Where we talk about, well, disagree and commit, right? I don't agree with you, but are you willing to place a bet on this with me? Um, I think that showing that, uh, honesty and transparency, because people really uh, follow what you do, not what you say, right? Uh, so I think that's one thing. Uh, the second thing, when you are uh, making sure that the teams are comfortable with taking chances, is actually no half measures, right? Going all in. If you're going to say, um, I'm going to place, uh, to Brian's point earlier, right? If you're going to say, uh, I believe in this, right? Um, you want to make sure that, of course, you want to be prudent about the risk that you take. Uh, but uh, if you then start hedging your bets all over the place, then I think it sends a mixed message to the rest of the team. So if you're driving your change and if you're set the vision, I think it's very, very important to stand behind that. And the third thing, I know I said two, but I'll add third. Um, the third thing I would say is it comes down to creating this mechanism and, 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 and programs where uh, you highlight when mistakes happen uh, and actually uh, share them widely, right? Because it takes a while for people to get comfortable to first accept, but then second, share uh, what they learn from the mistake. Uh, so having some sort of programs uh, and, and focus around that is crucial. Um, I think we've talked about this in the past. Uh, one of the things that I had done, which is a small thing, but I think it went a long way in uh, sending a message that this is a culture of, you know, where we are willing to accept failures, uh, was this award called Floppy Award, uh, which was given out to celebrate uh, the biggest mistake. Uh, it was called Floppy Award, and uh, we rolled it out. It was a self-nominated award. So, Jake, you can't tell me uh, and nominate me for that award, unfortunately. But uh, the idea was that I will get up there and, and you can get up there and say, hey, you know, this was a mistake. This is what we learned from that experience. Um, and it, it created this sort of mo momentum that, that people got comfortable with the failure. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, your points. Um, you know, it's really, as a leader, you have to uh, lead uh, with action, not just words. I know some people say action instead of words, but I, I say both. You have to have both and they have to be consistent. So you have to tell your, your people, um, you know, what you're going to do, why you're going to do it, how it's going to benefit them, but then your actions have to be consistent with that. So like in my case, uh, we were disrupted by a top-down mandate to, um, close our data centers worldwide and go to cloud hundred percent to cloud. 
uh, with AWS, which is a big change for us. We were kind of deeply invested in data centers and we had big teams managing those data centers. And, you know, this was a disruption to our entire way of operating in IT. And uh, by the way, we were asked to do it in 12 months. So completely transform the entire company to 100% cloud in 12 months. So we were not, uh, to add to that, we, we so, there, so there are a few, few things that were, were um, made the project a little more challenging. One was um, that nobody on the team really had any meaningful experience with cloud at the time. So um, we're going to move 100% to cloud, but no one knows how to do it yet uh, with a 12-month deadline. And then also, um, we were not given the uh, luxury of, uh, of extra budget that year. Uh, we had already completed our budget planning uh, for, the, for the following year. And so that year, we had to do it with a flat budget, and which meant we couldn't bring in external help. I couldn't uh, hire new people. I couldn't bring in consultants. So I have this team that doesn't know how to move to cloud, and I have a mandate to go 100% to cloud with our legacy IT systems. Um, and um, initially, it was not very popular. You know, the, it, it, it was scary. Um, it seemed like we were being set up to fail. It seemed like um, an impossible task. And so um, in order to get the team comfortable with it, I had to get comfortable with it first. And so, um, you know, I did everything that I asked them to do. I went through the training. I got the certifications. Um, I started going back to kind of hands-on work, uh, architecting systems in the cloud, um, just long enough for them to feel comfortable with it, right? Because, of course, you can't be a, a leader and do, be doing all of those things all the time. So um, once they saw that this was uh, something that's possible, something that's actually going to happen, in other words, you can't be in denial about this, we're actually doing this, uh, and we're, it's going to work, and then they saw what was in it for them, they were going to be trained, and certified, and then gain all of this experience doing this thing that, um, you know, moving to cloud, uh, uh, using AWS, which is just an up and coming skill and just becoming more so over time. Um, at some point it reached a tipping point where they were, uh, they didn't require any more motivation. They were motivating themselves and, you know, uh, it was, it was a proud moment for me. So beyond that, there was the second layer of resistance, uh, which was other leaders within the company. So at one point, you know, my team was on board and we were moving forward with this, but other stakeholders uh, didn't see the value of it. And so I had to take a similar approach with that. We moved our internal ICT systems first. You know, we ate our own dog food uh, and we proved that it was going to be uh, cost effective and stable and a pleasant experience. And then we took the early adopters within the business that are willing to take a, a small risk and, and bet their systems on on this initiative and over-delivered to them so that everyone else in the company kind of saw uh, that this was of benefit to them. And so I think, you know, it's really about getting the people you need uh, to, to come along with you to understand how it benefits them because they don't care how it benefits you in general. They care, you know, the risk to themselves and the benefits to themselves. Yeah, I think it's about uh, value and purpose, right? To, to, your, to your point about over-delivering and, and helping them see the value, I think, that's really important part of any of this change, right? Is that, that we did it for, for a reason. It wasn't just to be more digital or because we want, we're moving from waterfall to agile. Um, you know, what, what are the reasons you're doing it? And, and what are the, um, you know, at, at Amazon, we have tenants and, um, we use them 
you could call them principles and whatever. There's lots of different words for it, but we call them tenants and, and we use them for lots of different things at Amazon. And it's, um, I kind of, I wrote a blog about, uh, reflecting back on our, our transformation and what, um, what we would have written, you know, had, had we had Amazon tenants for that transformation. And, and the thing that I like about that is it's, it's like, what did we, what did we hold constant? What did we use to drive our decision-making, you know, and, and, uh, if you, if you were to go look at the blog, it's about autonomy and speed and, um, enabling the team over, over individuals. And, um, you know, so I think if you, if you focus on, well, why are we doing this? And you put out your intentions, right. And they're good intentions. And, um, you deliver on those things and, and you're you, like the organization has to, has to, uh, the better they understand that, the better they can ensure that we hit the mark. Um, and, and that we're tracking the right things, right. So like we didn't track velocity, um, of, of our teams because it, it wasn't an indicator from our perspective of, um, of what was going on in the environment of whether or not we were doing well. So I think, I think what you measure becomes really important. And it, it, again, that ties back to the purpose and, and why you're doing this in the first place. And it has to be more than, well, because we're being disrupted or because of this competitor or because we want to be more digital, right? It, it has to be connected to what it means for the business and what it's going to feel like to do business once you've made this change um, and, and you've got to measure against that. Right. Yeah. More the why than the what, right? Yes. Yes. And I think that's when we talk about uh, uh, digital disruption. Um, I think one of the things that often gets confused is uh, about why versus how you reach the customer, right? Because it's that term is often sort of intermingled with digital channels of reaching and serving your consumers with whatever product services, uh, business model that you have. Uh, and it's really not that, right? It's not about uh, having an app or a website or, or having a digital channel. It's really about keeping customer at the center and not losing the sight of your purpose and really using digital and technology and agility and cloud to make that experience better, to actually make and enhance that, right? Uh, it's not about how you reach your mm -hmm. customer. Right, right. Yeah, the customer need is the why. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, you know, and I, I think one of the one of the things that uh, Enterprise Strategy Team uh, did recently, we had an experiment where uh, four of us wrote uh, a blog on surviving digital disruption uh, independently, uh, so we didn't compare notes, uh, and it was a uh, it was wonderful because uh, while you see some common themes emerge, uh, there were also uh, certain. Uh, point of views that were a little bit differing, right? Um, and and we all had sort of our own take in terms of why and what. Um, so that that was very interesting. And I think one of the things um, that, that the common theme was around not losing the purpose, right? It's really around who you, are, who you are at the core, keeping your customer at the center, and then defining your transformation around that. Yeah. You know, wise man once told me in order to create you have to first meaningfully destroy. I think those were some wise words. That's right. Control demolition. I had a really great time talking to Brian and Ashit on this episode. 
I hope you join us next time where we'll dive into the benefits of constraints, failure, and how we work backwards from the customer. Remember to submit your questions directly on the Enterprise Strategy blog, and we'll do our best to answer them in future episodes. Just search for AWS Enterprise Strategy on web or mobile. See you next time.